Welcome to the Entre Pastors Podcast. This show helps pastors think, act, and thrive as prosperous entrepreneurs. And now, here are your hosts, Les Hughes and John Sanders. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Entre Pastors Podcast. My name is John Sanders, I'm here with my co-host Les Hughes. Les, talk to me, man. What's up, John Sanders? And it's always good to see you, bro. Likewise. Hey, I'm not a big basketball guy, but I heard something happened with March Madness that you might want to talk about. So what do you want to say, Les? Uh, something might have heard with March Madness that, that was a false rumor that I wanted to talk about it. I've uh, decided that I'm fasting from conversations uh, about that, especially the first round of that topic. After that, we can have a conversation, but uh, not about first round. You're not talking about the first round that involved your team, Kentucky, not making it to the second round. You're fasting from that. Uh, I have no recollection of that, Cinder. All right. Well, sorry to bring that up, but it is basketball season. I know that's a big thing to you, so I'm just trying to relate. It It usually is, John. It it usually is a big thing. Yeah, and uh, I have had my joy just sucked away, (laughs) so that's all right. Hey, brother, I've been a Minnesota Vikings fan pretty much my whole (laughs) life, so I know that joy suck feeling often, often. Yes. So, well, it's hey, the, uh, it's the, it's the chart. It's the Lucy with the football jerking it away. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've had that many times and it's frustrating. So I hear you. We could talk about one other quick thing that we need to get out of the way. You and I just got off of a call with our mastermind, had an incredible, awesome conversation with our entree pastors mastermind. But, uh, in there, it was revealed once again, something came up about Les and his fanny pack. So what do you want to tell us about the fanny pack Les? Like, are you bringing that back? Is that something we're going to see less on the beach in Florida? Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just keep our eyes open for that one, John. I, I don't know, man. The world needs to know. know. The world needs to know. Yeah. I have seen, I have seen a picture of, uh, Dwayne Johnson recently, you know, the rock with his. So what can I say? One last story, Les. just this week, I had someone come up to me that's kind of a, uh, an acquaintance type of a person. And, and we were in a group setting and he said, you know who you remind me of John? And I was like, like a celebrity, he was saying, I was like, who's that? He said, Daniel Craig. Well, I don't know who Daniel Craig is. I don't really follow celebrities that much. Do you know who Daniel Craig is? I do. He plays James Bond is what the guy said. Uh I remind him of James Bond. Interesting. I'm going to start wearing a suit now. Because... So how thick were this man's glasses? <laughs> yeah, he's well, he's blind. But anyways, <laughs> must have been the voice or something. I say I usually get mistaken for Brad Pitt, not not whatever that other guy's name is that uh, I just you said. You need to keep that guy close, <laughs> man. He needs to be a good friend. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let's let's get serious here. We got some fun stuff to talk about. So on the podcast today, you and I are going to have a conversation with Andy Littleton. Andy co-authored a book called Part Time Pastoring with Sean Banesh, and we actually are going to do a back-to-back episode here because next week we're going to hear from Sean. These two are awesome guys, uh, pastors out west. I think Andy is in Arizona, and Sean is up in Portland. And so we're going to hear about this concept of part-time pastoring. Now, for many pastors, Les, that that can be kind of an offensive term, right? Like no, no pastor right. really wants to think of themselves as part-time. Why is that? Right. Well, because we know that that, that phone can ring anytime. You know, that we could get an email or a text at any time. And uh, usually there's a sense of urgency when those things happen, you mm-hmm. know. So um, there, there's not a time that we can just sort of take the pastor hat off. Yeah. We, we wear it all the time. And so that the, it's, it's kind of a, a misnomer, but he doesn't really mean 
what that title suggests, as you'll find out in the uh, conversation. Right. It's kind of a clickbaity title of a book, which I'm always into those type of you know provocative right. titles. But it's really for our tribe less. This is about embracing what it is to to be in pastoral ministry and to have something else on the side. And instead of viewing it as this you know, this tension that, you know, the two compete against each other to really lean into that and to embrace it. So I I love the book. I I ran into these guys on a podcast not too long ago and uh, love the book and, and it's good stuff. So I'm excited to share this with our uh, audience today. So without any further ado, let's cut to this conversation that you and I had with Andy Littleton. Check this out. Well, Andy, it is a pleasure having you on the Entree Pastors podcast. I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity after having just read your book. Welcome to the show, man. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm talking to the celebrity, and I'm just a normal guy sitting in a little boring office. But thank you. That's uh, That means a lot. Awesome. Well, you uh, co-authored a book called Part-Time Pastoring. And, you know, that that word in and of itself to some might sound like a negative thing. It might sound like a, it has a bad connotation. But uh, as we explore this together, we're going to quickly find out that's not what you guys mean by this whatsoever. So why don't we start here? Just if you don't mind, give a brief introduction to our audience of yourself, your life, uh, your journey into pastoral ministry. And then we'll start talking about the book and why you wrote it. And, and I've got a bunch of questions about it for you. Great. Um, yeah, sure. My my life, let's see, so much. But uh, but I think I've looked back and I've recognized that there was always an entrepreneurial side of me, uh, an elder uh, lady that I knew growing up. She would remind me that I actually, when I was a kid, I would try to sell her rocks at her door and she had to say, honey, those are my rocks <laughs> from my yard. And um, so, you know, the heart is deceitful uh, seems to be true in my case as well. But um, but I was always, I was always that kid that I thought, you know, I have a problem. I want to solve it. I would offer, I'll dig that stump out of your yard. I'll do whatever I have to do. I was always kind of trying to figure out how to achieve my goals and start basically little business ventures that didn't click for me until later in life that that had always been there, but it, it really has, um, always kind of enterprising. And so, but I also, I grew up, uh, I grew up super poor. I was kind of, uh, in a, definitely a lower class uh, kind of situation. My dad had lost his job in, in the lumber industry um, and had tried to kind of regroup and that didn't work out so well. And mm-hmm. so I grew up in trailer parks and, and that kind of situation, but also my parents put me in private school and they sacrificed a ton uh, to do that. So I, I also have this kind of between two worlds mm-hmm. side of my story where I, I very much learned, uh, you know, my friend's uh, when I was growing up there, you know, I remember one of the kids' dads had his BMW and his car phone. We drove a Ford Pinto that burned oil. And I had to to kind of learn how to navigate in both of those spaces. And that's still very true of me today, not, not just with uh, wealth, but also business and church. Mm-hmm. Um, did grow, we, I grew up in the church, uh, believing family as well. And so that, that was always there. But I actually started into ministry when I was 18, so I'm 39 now. So I've been in, interestingly, in ministry 21 years. So um, along the way, I've done I've done full time work, um, but also throughout, I've I've had a lot of stints in various other roles, and so that all comes comes into play. But when it when that felt like it clicked in for me was when I planted a church 
here in Tucson and realized the kind of church I wanted to plant uh, was going to have to be very grassroots and take a lot of time. And, uh, and I was going to have to just figure out another way to get it started. And so I started a business at that time and had no idea how much I would really embrace that idea, um, that it would actually become part of my strategy for ministry. At the time, it was just sustainability. But as time went on, I realized this is, this is going to be my strategy. This is, this is actually working way better than I thought. It might be even a key component to our church being the way that it is. So today, our church actually has um, all bivocational staff. Um, and we only we tr- we only send uh, missionaries and other ministers who are bivocational unless their context uh, demands that they they can't do that. So it's become a very keystone piece of my work. Well, one thing very early in the book, it was actually the forward. You didn't write this, but one of your uh, whoever wrote the forward, uh, Rod. I don't know how to yeah. say his last name, but Rod, Rod Hugan. Yep. Yeah, he has a statement in the book that again, there's it's in context. I don't want to take it out of context. If you just heard what I'm getting ready to say, it could sound negative, and he, I don't think he means it this way. And I think this really frames well a narrative that has been around the church world and and pastoring. But I'm just going to read one little quote. He says, being forced into bivocationalism smacks of a problem that ought to be addressed. Either pastors are at fault or congregations are. And again, like there's a deeper context behind it. But for many, we think of this, this idea of a pastor that has to have a job outside of, you know, their pastoral ministry and they're forced into that and it's this grudging thing like it's it's a problem in most people's mind many pastors have this identity of man I'm not a full-time pastor I'm a part-time pastor and that's not a good thing and so it's either either I'm not worthy of being in the big leagues as a pastor or the problems with my church and I think it frames that really well the the tension you guys are tapping into in the book. So we'll get more into that, but I'll, I'll just let you respond to that. When you talk about part-time pastoring, y'all aren't saying it as a as a negative statement, right? Like some might have been conditioned to think of being a part-time pastor as as a bad thing. You've come to see it as a good thing, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um and it's it's funny cuz Rod is a he's a mentor of mine and and in a way he he kind of he is actually bivocational himself. So he's, he's pushing on that a little bit to say, you know, really in the ideal situation, um, you know, your, your pastors are worthy of double honor, which actually means double pay. So they, they, should, they should have plenty of provision coming from the church. That's how it should be. But you can even look at the life of the Apostle Paul and see that even he realized that that wasn't how it was going to be. And for missional reasons, you would choose not to do that as he articulates to some of the churches that he ministers to, um, especially the Galatians and such. So um, I would say that that's, there's an ideal and then there's a missional decision that you can make. And that's a, a missional decision that we've made and we think is actually a really good choice. So if you go around, especially in my context, a very post-Christian city, um, saying, I want to reach people who don't know Christ um, who, or who have been uh, kind of hurt by the church. Those are, those are people we're specifically trying to engage with. And then you tell them, and by the way, I'd like to make twice as much as you while I'm at it. <laughs> that strategy probably isn't going to work very well. And I just know it won't. Yeah. So 
we've we've made a choice because we think it's a good and right choice, even though it doesn't maybe match up with you know perfect shalom and the way things ought to be. So the book, the the name of the book, um, as you as you mentioned, we chose it. It was kind of my move because I said I'm not trying to write a book to the people that have all the terms down. Um, if you've if you've read enough to be able to articulate what co-vocationalism is. Um, you're probably generally familiar with this. If you're kind of sitting in a chair going, oh my gosh, I think I might need to take a part-time job. I want this book to, to be for you um, or, or your friend who feels that way to help you move out of that kind of dread into seeing this actually as a, a strategy, as a missional strategy. So we, we know that probably better terms are bivocational or co-vocational but also from a vocational perspective, you would do your pastoring part-time and you might do something else. Like for me, I manage and run a retail store part-time. So that's, it's an okay term, even though there are probably better ones out there. But the point of it is to catch that person who's thinking in terms of really like, I don't know if I can afford to do this ministry full-time. Maybe I should quit. And we want to say, no, 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 no. Think strategically. This actually is, this could be an opportunity. I mean, I just had this conversation with a guy. Um, it's, I, I referenced one in the book. I had a very similar conversation the other day where a guy sat down with me and said, I'm trying to raise support to do ministry full time. And I said, what else do you do? And he named off some things. And I said, those are really, those are amazing ways to connect with your community. I don't even know if you should stop doing them. Mm. Have you thought about that? What if it was a cohesive strategy and it all provided for your family, but you saw these as tentacles that get you out into your context really yeah. effectively. Yeah. So, yeah. And we'll, we're definitely going to go down deeper into that arena of how, how having some kind of job or entrepreneurial thing outside of the four walls of a church building, um, you know, how that can really be a missional and, and a almost mm-hmm. more impactful ministry than, than what happens inside the four walls of that said building. But, um, but I want to back up and ask a more broad question here for just a moment. You, you talk about in the book, some trends that you see happening in the church right now and, and probably likely to continue in our culture that are going to have an, an impact on the church. That, that really make this conversation even more of a necessity. Do you want to go into a little more detail about that? Like, what do you see happening in the church world where it's like, man, things are shifting and, and the day of, of church as we knew it, kind of a traditional model where a pastor is, has the luxury of a full-time salary is probably becoming a thing of the past, at least for many churches. Tell us more about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just obvious, um, you know, and, and the, the pandemic, which Sean and I, you know, released this early in that stage. So we wrote a lot of it before is a whole nother level mm-hmm. of, um, I mean, just, yeah, look around, you don't have as many people showing up to church. Some of those people, you know, gave through the pandemic, but there's what everybody's now calling the great reshuffling where a lot of people are, are changing churches or, or religions for that matter. And, um, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in that, but also, the days of kind of the loyalty to churches, structures, denominations, funding streams, mission organizations is not really the same. Uh, people think of giving differently. People used to just take, you know, the, here's my 10% to my church. I might give a little bit more to my 
uh, to the mission agency. Today, people are, you know, they'll consider that if they Venmoed their friend 20 bucks, that's part of their giving for the month. Um, and people don't work uh, as consistent of jobs anymore. There's a lot of gig workers. I was just talking to somebody who's starting a, a new app for giving in the church because gig workers just forget to give. They, they have like all this random money coming in. So they're trying to create an app to help those people who are dedicated to giving. But also we're, yeah, I mean, just generally post-Christian, a lot of, you know, neighbors of ours, my age, um, you know, one, one guy, I said, what's your church background? He was doing something with me and he said, nothing, you know, mm-hmm. and the nuns and there, there's books about that. I've got one on my, on my shelf back here. That, that demographic is growing substantially. And some of those people, because they don't uh, connect to religion anymore, but some of them just seriously have no experience in it. No. So I, I probably referenced a few other things, but that all of that, and then you just look at the numbers. I mean, churches get less in giving in general, um, denominations, the giving is way down, networks. There's probably a few. I think if you, if you, if you really find a channel where people are super angry or like feeling like this is the only place where they can be heard, that might be your best shot at like making money in ministry. But unfortunately that there's a lot of besetting sins available in those spaces too. So anyway, I would, I'm picking up what you're saying there. I, one thing you said in the book, and I, I've heard this same metaphor. You didn't go in as in detail as much on this, but this idea that like in our, in the economy, you're going to continue to see some of these big box retail stores, all right. And then you you see, you know, the mom and pop boutiques like in the church world. I've heard that metaphor before that we're seeing that the mid-sized churches that have you know historically in the past have been able to support full-time staff members and, and certainly a full-time pastor, that those middle-sized churches are going away. We will still have kind of the big box church. I think there's still a place for that, but more and yep. more I think we're going to see the church flourishing in these smaller expressions that are more, you know, boutique to some to some extent, which again is amazing missionally, but it it probably opens up some challenges financially to that model of I just want to be a pastor and that's it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. You've uh, clearly read my book more recently <laughs> than I have. Um the uh yeah, that's absolutely true and I think another piece that uh, I don't even know if I worked it out as much in the book, but the boutique church potentially say, take our church, for example, here in Tucson, it's very much that we created it for a niche group of people in Tucson who I can kind of identify and I, and our people uh, generally understand what that niche group is, but you're not going to build a huge audience in that group uh, probably ever. And, but we, we do well with that demographic. And to do that, if you looked at our budget, there's enough budget for one typical pastor salary, like one living wage. And if you added benefits in there, that would stretch it. Mm. Um, And so, but we have currently four staff. We just planted a church and we had five um, before that. And, And typically if you looked at our budget and our numbers, you'd go, why are you planning a church? Why do you have so many staff members? Well, it's, it's not just that. So I could be full time. If I did every single role in the church, including ones I'm terrible at. So to have a diverse team that actually rounds you out and does ministry well, that's a whole nother 
thing uh, where for the boutique church, maybe you could support one full-time staff member, but you're probably not going to have a diversity of gifts and strengths that like you should to really do ministry well. So for us to, to have multiple uh, bivocational folks allows us to have a, a diversity of leadership, bring different gifts to the table. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one, one piece of it strategically. And the other is just that we're all connected to the community in vital ways. Yeah, that's awesome. One thing I'd like, love to hear you talk about is, um, well, I've read the book, so I know, but share, if you don't mind, for our audience, a little bit of the stuff you've done outside the church. Because again, it's not like you've just been punching a time clock for a company over on the side. You have kind of a, a number of things. So tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. that, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, very much a number of things. So one of the, if you were to break my role down at the church, I'm, I, I come off as, I guess, like a lead pastor, though we don't call it that. I'm, I preach the most and I've been there the longest. Well, my, actually our, our worship leader, we did a church merger years back. So he's been there slightly longer than me, but, um, but I'm the, I'm the one that people perceive as the, the older pastor, if you will. So that's true, but also one of my key roles is community engagement at this point. And so I'm, I'm on a business association in the area, which is, I actually joined it as a way to connect the church to the businesses, but actually my business at this juncture has an office within the, the area of the business association. So I'm there for, you know, connected through both entities um, and we, we do volunteer work in the community. So we find community organizations. This is another piece of our strategy. Um, for us to be bivocational and small, I can't be like an event coordinating company um, as a church, which a lot of churches I feel basically are event coordinating companies. I can't do that. That's not a good use of my time. So we connect to the community through things that they're doing. So that builds relationships. We don't have to organize events, but we're still part of great events in the community that we can wholeheartedly get into and serve. So we actually spend a lot of time out in the community. We're just not the sole organizers of that work. So for me, I'm, um, I'm, I'm pastoring the church. I'm kind of the liaison to the business association and community activity work. Um, and I do a little bit of, uh, actually there's a leadership development side of trying to get other people who are engaged in out of the box missional ideas active in our city. And then I co-own a retail store. So there's, there's a lot of pieces to that. And, um, and that's, uh, I've had to strategize around how to do that, but the, uh, the basic, yeah, it remind me of the nuance of your question because there's there was something else I was going to say. Well, mainly just the what what what's the work you're doing outside of you know pastoral ministry, kind of your your other jobs, your other streams of income. Yeah, so so I get I get some denominational support for doing that leadership development and kind of connectivity work, which is great. That that's a, a huge gift. Um, there's the pastoral work. There's um, the retail store, and then you know dribble in, uh, you know, stuff from like coaching and book sales just a little bit. What is the retail um, store, Andy? Is that a, is that a bricks and mortar physical thing or is it online where you can do it remotely or what's that look like for people that, that they're hearing that. And that's, that's sort of in their wheelhouse in terms of that and ministry. What's that look like? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's both. It's primarily brick and mortar, though we're working on, I think we need to see more online. That's something, that's a muscle I'm trying to develop is kind of the e-commerce side of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that there's a, a strategic hire we just made that I think is moving us more in that direction. But the, uh, the brick and mortar side of it for me in my context is important because one of the strategies of our business is to connect with local makers and just be a, an excellent outlet for their work um, and kind of a place where they can f- be known, cared for, and their their wares can be sold. It's it's it has a service side to it. Like our our aim to profit is so that we can do that well. Um, if we don't profit, we can't do that well. So so it's very relational. Um, it's very relationship building. Um, so my next meeting is is mm-hmm. about a potential expansion of that. And our store is beloved in the city because local makers want to have their stuff in it and they and they like working with us. And we have a background in production, both myself and my co-owner. And so we know what it's like to produce items, try to bring them to market. Usually creative people don't really know how to price things, sell things. So I have a background in retail. I have some retail management and I've been a maker. So I realized, oh my gosh, I have this pastoral background, but I also have some unique business background that can help me help others. So the physical space feels much more important as far as that goes. Uh, but the e-commerce side uh, is just a, it's a way to grow and, and share those, those goods further. And, and honestly, for us, the summers in Arizona get very hot and brick and mortar retail drops. So it's a way to survive the summer. Well, it sounds like you're more very, very intentional even to marry the ministry. Uh, There's a service component of that, that often isn't there with somebody that's bivocational or co-vocational. So does that mean, is that an LLC that's set up individually by you, or is it actually something that's a DBA under more of the ministry of the church? Uh, it's a separate LLC um, for sure. And I actually think in this case, that's, that's the most appropriate. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. It, and it very much, our church understands it, knows that that's a big, big thing for me, but the church mm-hmm. itself doesn't feel like they run it. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a, a definite, as far as organizationally, structurally, there's a separation, okay. but but with intentionality and within the kind of mission statements of the two, you can see very clearly that the tie. So we yeah. kind of have an internal mission statement for the store that shows the, the kind of relational ministry service objectives of this store, though the store is not explicitly Christian at all. Right. Um, yeah. So it's interesting how you're putting together your team. You said you have five, I think you said team members that are pretty much cut from the same cloth. It sounds like, or at least this is their, this is their a part of the DNA of the church model. So that's interesting to me. So would you speak to, uh, it, this is almost the, which came first chicken or the egg kind of, mm-hmm. kind of deal. Are you, are you looking for people that, that go into this sort of the way that you have and saying, no, I'm, I'm called as with a, with a hybrid sort of life. There's, there's ministry, there's marketplace. And then they kind of, there's a, there's a space that they come together. Is that what you're seeing? Or are you seeing people that have the intention maybe of coming out of the, coming out of a seminary or a local church context where they're thinking what we would consider 
full-time vocational church employee, but along the way, out of necessity or or their thinking just changes, and it's like, no, I'm going to shift over to this model. And I think part because part of it, I would guess, is sort of organic. You're probably developing. There's a leadership pipeline probably in your church in your fellowship where you're developing people that may already be in the marketplace that then come over to be have more skin in the game in the church. Is that pretty yeah. much the way it is? Yeah, there's definitely DNA set within our church because it's a plant. Um, and we've never had the the pastor out of seminary. In fact, I graduated with my master's like a month ago. So it's uh Congratulations. I, thank you. I <laughs> thought it would never happen. But um but so so even when I started, I wasn't like I'm out of seminary. I was like, I'm still working on it, but we're doing this. Um, it, it kind of, we started because we had a, a like-minded group in the city that wanted to, to have a church where they could invite this kind of niche group. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't, we didn't start cause it was, we didn't look and go, you know what, we've got the credentials, we've got the money, let's do this. We started cause we said, we have the people and the idea let's there do that. And that's yeah. a very different, yeah. um, I'm not saying one is definitely oh, better than the other, but that that's what, that was us. So the DNA of we're going to do whatever we have to do to make this work has always been there. And that I love it. that's important. It would be very yeah. difficult, um, I think. And even in our denomination, I have other leaders that go, how could, you know, we'd like to be more community engaged like your church. And I think, and I, I go, well, I'm thinking about your life. Um, I don't know if you've personally ever been community engaged. You know, you graduated mm-hmm. high school, you went to college, you went to seminary. You, this is your first job at this church. Or, you know, not really, but it's your first full-time gig. Like, you're going to have to become integrated to your community and community life to get your church there. Our story is just so different. So it'd be hard to to kind of, um, yeah, for somebody to enter in like that. So, so that means most of our leaders kind of get that DNA from the get-go. So our, our worship director, he's also an elder. Um, but he is a sound tech. And so he actually did University of Arizona Athletics um, for a long time. He actually, we our church meets in the evenings and always has. And we have dinner together. That's very key to our model. So uh, a church that meets in the mornings, you know, just hired him. It's actually a really cool fit because it's a church where I used to work and there's a lot of good relationships. So he now works at two churches, but he, for the longest time, was the sound tech at all the U of A basketball, football games, and he still picks those up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, our the an interesting one would be the our new pastor who's joined us. He joined us a while ago, but he's kind of been developed from within our church. He probably was thinking full time ministry, and I think we sort of embedded this try by vocationalism in him. Number one, because it was he really liked our church and wanted to be a part of it, and I was saying to him, well there's no other way because that we don't have that kind of money. So you, if you want to be here, we're going to have to think strategically about what you do, but he's actually found, he's a good writer. Um, he, he actually is introverted and he really loves when he has time to kind of just be alone and work. And we found some really good methods where he can do good engaging work usually involves content creation um, that helps support him that also honestly gives him a break from the like yeah. drain of ministry work. Mm-hmm. So 
he's come around to embracing that though. It wasn't his original idea. Cool. One one thing, I just want to back up a few steps in the conversation. I feel like you're being really modest about something. When you referred to yourself as a maker or someone you've produced some stuff in the book, it sounds like you have built with your hands some pretty incredible like furniture and custom design type stuff. Is that true? Um, yeah, it, I, I built and built along with others. I, I actually, so the I no longer own that company, okay. um, I should say, but it, it's still, it's still active. And uh, a friend of mine who was the, the lead craftsman took it over is a bit of a COVID pivot in a way, but, but also I think it was a really good move, but, but essentially when we first started, I, uh, I was, I was like, Hey, my dad has an old Toyota truck. He doesn't like, I think it's cool. I could put a roof rack on it. I can go do projects. That was my first idea. Um, I got hired within about three months of that to be the the main um, kind of maintenance facility guy for a coffee company. And then the owner asked me if I could lead a build out uh, for that shop. That build out included some custom work, like big mesquite live edge countertops. And I thought, well, I can go hire that out or I can hire me to do that. Cause uh, that's really expensive stuff. And I think I can get it done. So I hired a buddy of mine. We did these beautiful mesquite tops um, and basically yeah, I hired myself and those got us recognition. And then we, we started getting these other side gigs and eventually it turned into, we were, we were kind of one of the top, top two or three custom furniture and finish shops in town. I would say still pretty well known, so uh, there, it, it's really cool to drive around. It's I see that Toyota commercial where the the dad is like, "Son, I built that." You know, there's a bunch of like like really cool spaces, bars, restaurants, custom homes, um, where I drive by and I'm like, "We uh, we did a lot of the the beautiful work in there." Yeah. So and- so that very much became a source of. Like, I mean, we, we were published um, there, you know, articles got in, in design magazines and stuff like that, that, that wasn't all about us, but we were the one, it was like, this was made by Midtown Artisans, this, you know, and that was pretty cool. So yeah, there. Um, Oprah has washed her hands in the sink that you built. So I'll just, you, you got to go read the book to hear that story, but that's now, you know, why my, our audience knows why I said you're being a little modest about that. What, what, here's what I love at Entree Pastors. We, we highlight some of that entrepreneurial stuff. I, the church stuff, I love it. I'm passionate about it, but we're coming at it from that angle of wanting pastors to just embrace these things. So that's where I love kind of drilling down into the stories of what do you do? What does, what are creative ways for pastors to earn a living and serve people really well and do some creative things? And so was when I was reading that part of your story, I was like, I know personally, I know a pastor that I'm going to share your story with him because he builds tables and some other furniture on the side. And it's such a release for him to kind of get out of the church world, take off that pastor hat and build something that you can actually look at and go, that's finished, you know, and so much of what we do in church life, it's never finished, you know, so that's, I think that's what speaks to me about some of those jobs where you can just do a project and go, look what I built, it's done. So I'm, I, I wanted you to geek out on that for a little bit for our audience. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it, it is fun. And we got to do some really, really cool stuff. And even just recently, there was a really interesting, um, event that kind of brought all, all of this together. If you have you know time for a quick story here, but there was, uh, we were doing a, 
we, we, with the business association, we did a mural painting event um, on kind of the main street of Tucson. Now that myself and John, my co-pastor, we both have a role at the business association. He's content creator. He's on staff with it too. And I'm currently the president. Um, and so we, we were kind of part of the idea for this mural event. And it got voted on by different people in the community. They looked at different designs. People got to have input. Um, but we combined the mural painting with a bike riding event. And the, the bicycling group is a secular group here in the city who we've volunteered for for years. So they trust us a lot. And they, I think we're like the only church that they look at and go, yeah, we'll work with them. Um, whatever they want. So we came to them and said, would you combo an event with our event? And they said, absolutely. That's so awesome. we were doing this event, a couple hundred people show up to do a community mural that's on the, the main street, this bicycling organizations there, the um, business association people are there. And then there's like 15 of our church volunteers are kind of running the thing, which is awesome. And a lady comes up to me or she came up to one of our volunteers and she said, isn't there a pastor like that's part of all this? And, uh, and he said, oh yeah, he's my friend. He's over here. Do you want to meet him? And, and basically she came over and said, she said to me, she said, so I've been doing the biking events and I've been following Midtown Artisans, which was the shop for years. And I found out there was like a pastor connected to these things. And I've just, you know, never seen that before. And mm -hmm. I wanted to, to meet you. And we were having a little conversation. And then about two thirds into that conversation, she opens up and says, you know, I used to go to church mm. and, and you could tell she's kind of like putting out there, like, I, I haven't been, this isn't a part, but it used to be. And like, is there space for me in your, mm. in your church? And I was able to see that. And I just said, Hey, um, I think you'd really like our church. And just, I want you to know it's right down the street. Here's what time you can come that. anytime you want. We're going to feed you dinner. And, and it was a cool moment of seeing that that public exposure that happened through the business, through the sink that Oprah washed her hands in or whatever, um, you know, that's interesting and cool and all that. But also that's what helped somebody realize a pastor is involved in everyday meaningful work that made them go, that might be the kind of church I could talk to yeah. as somebody who's been disconnected. So that, it brought it full circle where it's not just about doing the cool thing or being in front of everybody. It's like the, the strategy for me is to get into the lives of people that aren't walking into church. And so, so there's, there is this missional ministry side and that, that was like cloud nine That's walking awesome. away from that conversation going, there it is. That's what we're doing here. I love yeah. that. Thanks for sharing that story, man. That's in, that's inspiring and encouraging. I have one more question for this part of the interview, and then uh, I'm going to wrap two questions up into our backstage portion. But in your book, you said something that really resonated with me. Uh, you challenged pastors to stop basically trying to live someone else's story, and I think that's so that's so common in ministry. We've been told what it means to be a pastor, what it looks like. And so we we put this pressure on ourselves to do this, and you're challenging them to basically write their own stories, to give themselves the gift of being themselves. And like, what would that look like to show up in the world as the the individual that God made me to be? And what what could that 
how you know how could that affect my ministry? So I'd love for you just to say a little bit more. Challenge the pastors that are listening to this that have been trying to live someone else's story. What would you say to them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that you know, and what one of the things we try to do in the book is create space to explore that story that that you have with God and the unique things that that you're built for. Because we've said, and I want to make clear, every bivocational path is not the same. It, it it has to do with you. I've talked about how from childhood, apparently I've been figuring out ways to solve problems and make money, but I've also, even since I was 18, had this sense of call to, to be in ministry. And so there's, there's a combining of those two unique things, which creates part of what I do. And then something about my growing up in the middle of of wealth and poverty and and so on has a lot to do with the specific things that I do. So I would hate to, I would hate for anybody to hear my story and go, Oh man, I, I just don't, I don't have those kind of ideas. I don't, I don't have what it takes. I mean, I think that my co-pastor John is an example of somebody who has a very different story, very different set of gifts, but there's a path that works for him. And so I would just say a key thing here is not to, yeah, not to just don't worry about keeping up with, with others, um, you know, really, really seek who has God made me to be? What's the journey I've been on with God? A great practice would be to journal out just God, what's, what's the story I've had with you? What are themes throughout my life that, that you have put into my life to further your kingdom? And, and those are, everyone's going to be absolutely different. But then as you do that, I also think you'll start to see little blips, little themes of things that go, you know, that's something that could be integrated into my ministry. And maybe that's even part of how I get funding, you know, it's yeah. uh, that that's, it's strategic. So anyway, I would just say whether that's, you know, it, we, we can look at the, cause there will be the guy that graduates seminary or just the absolute, like lightning rod personality who has the giant church or whatever. And it, and it can be easy to go, Oh, I'm, I'm not that, but listen, you know, they have, yeah, a thousand people from the city go to their, their church, but my city's got a million people. There's a bunch of people that don't relate to that at all. There's a bunch of people that relate to you, or maybe there's five. That's okay. Like God's trying to reach the world, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you have a, a really critical role here and, uh, and learning that story, integrating that in, um, is, is important. I I've spent way too much time wishing I was somebody else. So I, I just, uh, I would just encourage others to fight that. That's good, man. Just to have the permission to live the life that God created you to live and to, to live out your story. So here's what I'm going to do, Andy. This has been so good. I, I'm going to wrap up two last questions I had. I'm going to say them here because there is one. I'm going to let you respond to one thing on this side because I just want to encourage pastors with it. And then we're going to go backstage and go deeper into this. But um, you you really challenge pastors th- this reality of uh, a lot of times people that are in bivocational or part-time pastoring, they still take on the weight of full-time pastoring. Oh, yeah. They try to do everything that pastors that that full-time pastors do in addition to the work that they do outside of the church and you flat out say in the book never sign up for that it's not fair um so i want i'm going to let you respond to that piece there in just a moment but 
Backstage, I want to go deeper into this uh, question about time management. How in the world do you get it all done? Because in the book, you do talk about some ways that you know that you're dealing with that. You know, you've got so many of these things on your plate. How do you get it all done? But just say a word briefly to the pastors that are on this side of the the podcast here about not signing up for some unrealistic expectation when you're trying to do multiple things. Yeah, that's a great way to disappoint people and kill yourself right there yeah. is, uh, is sign up for something you just don't have capacity for. And so that's, I, I even think, honestly, if you're full-time and you're signing up for roles that you're just not able to, to fulfill too. And so that's a hard conversation. Um, and we, we all, I think sometimes we're just trying to get a job and um, trying not to disappoint people, but it, it's just way better to have that conversation on the front end and say, look, here's the available time that I have. Here are the, the gifts and strengths that I can bring to the table. Um, here's what I, here's what I don't uh, really bring to the table. And, and so, you know, if th- this is what I can offer, I, I think that's a nice thing at our church is they know, they know that I've got some specific strengths and there's some others I just do not have. And we're going to have to find somebody else to do that. Could be a volunteer, could be a deacon, could be another elder, uh, or maybe we need to hire somebody, but that that's just such a worthwhile conversation. And the other thing just quick I found is people want to be involved in your church. So this is a great way to offload. Sometimes it's more about us just wanting to feel like we can be everything to everybody. Well, being all things to all people doesn't mean you do everything for everybody. Yeah. Um, it, that means that you just try to try to relate and understand people from all different types of backgrounds. But um, yeah. yeah, you let other people carry the load with you. Honestly, that's what they want to do. Yeah, that's really good, Andy. Thank you for that. And um, as we just sort of wrap up this part of the conversation, would you just let folks know how they can get their hands on this very helpful book, very timely book, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, you know, what the best way to reach out to you is, or especially if they're in your area and would like to come and, and talk more or, or look at this or a real unique model, how could they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've got a little landing page, andylittleton.com. You can find church book. Uh, I have a, I wrote another book, a travel memoir about uh, my father and people like him too, that, that I think it's actually, it's probably also my, my book on leadership, oddly enough, the more I think about it. And uh, so you can find those at the landing page as well as, uh, as other content podcasts um, and our church. So andylittleton.com, we'll send you wherever you need to go. We are very, very thankful that you came on and, and uh, we just appreciate you and, and what you're doing and your willingness to, invest in the folks that are listening to this. So thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Well, there you go. Good stuff from Andy Littleton. I highly encourage you guys to go check out the book, Part-Time Pastoring. And uh, we'll be joining Andy backstage here shortly for uh, continuing the conversation. And uh, next week, we're going to be hearing from his co-author, Sean Banesh. So more good stuff coming your way. Hey, Les, before we sign off, we wanted to remind our audience about something. We just did a masterclass. We're doing one every month in the year 2022. And uh, this last masterclass we did was on the topic of writing a book. And out of that, we are launching a cohort for pastors that desire to get a book written. You want to talk a little bit about that cohort and give us a few details? Yes. We talk about everything from um, taking your idea and building the book first. That is writing a book proposal. That is what, because it's not about just writing a book, right? It's about getting it published as well. 
And we, as, as well as Entree Press, we have uh, contacts with people that are in the publishing world that can help there. So anyway, the idea is that a cohort comes together. It could be somebody that just has an idea that they want fleshed out into a book. It's, it could be someone who's about got the manuscript written and they say, okay, now what do I do with it? So writers need ideas, structure, encouragement, accountability, and the cohort will be a way. It's a coaching and the cohort will be a way to get all of those things wrapped up into one. Yeah, and again, we're just really celebrating this Entree Pastors Press that we have recently rolled out, and we've already got two authors that have deals with a publisher and a few more in the in the barrel getting ready to shoot, we hope. Not shoot the authors, like that would not that's not our goal is to shoot the authors, <laughs> right. but to shoot their book out into the world. You know what I'm trying to say, right. Les. So anyway, if that is of interest to you, if you're a pastor that thinks, man, I, I have a book I've been thinking about writing, we can help you get that book written. And this cohort is coming up. We're launching it on April 5th. It's going to meet the sec- or first and third Tuesdays of the month. Am I saying that right, Les, at 1.30 yep. Central Time? 1.30 Central Time, first and third Tuesdays. We'll also record those calls because people are busy and and uh, we'll, we'll have a we'll have a content bank for 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 authors or wannabe authors, depending on where you are in that process. So we're excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be good stuff and looking forward to the books that come out of that, where we help pastors take their book from an idea, nothing more than a thought in their mind, to literal paper in someone's hand, a book that's out in the world making a difference in the lives of people. So uh, where do they go to get signed up for that? EntrePastors.com slash write a book. Write a book. Write no a book. spaces or anything, just write a book. Write a book, That's and it. you can get signed up for that cohort and uh, plan on joining us right at the very beginning. I'm looking forward to that. So, hey, thank you guys for those of you that are a part of this community that tune in each and every week and help us spread the word on this podcast. We're grateful for that. One huge favor we would ask of you is that if you find value from this content week in and week out, we would sure be grateful if you would share this. Leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's a great way to help get this podcast out in front of more people. And if you're going to take that much effort, just it's not much harder to say something nice at the same time, right, Les? They can think of something <laughs> nice to go. say. That's right. So, man, give us a rating and review. Help us share this with more pastors. We believe in the message that we're promoting here. We want to get it out to as many pastors as we can because we think it's going to make a huge difference, not only in the lives of those pastors, but ultimately in, in the life of the church. So God bless everyone. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. Bye, everybody.